today we are going to look at restoring the ugly. How holy God desires to restore the ugly that comes in our life. Lamentations 5.21 Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. So many of us wonder when we get off track or our faith has settled some or we've um, backed, back, backed up, back, you know, stepped back some. And, uh, and even those that fall away is the prayer is always return and, and I want to return or how do I return? And I believe that if we just, maybe instead of asking the question or praying that the return, that we go to the one who does the restoring. Because if we go to the one who can restore, the return will automatically take place. Because that's what he does. So there's a lot of ugly in life. A lot of ugly in life. And we're going we're gonna to pray right now, and then we're going to just fly through this. Oh, holy God. Our restorer. Lord, I pray that every heart in this room would open up right now and ask you, would you please restore? God, it's a prayer that we pray when we know something needs to be restored. But how often do we pray, restore me, because there might be something and we're not sure even what it is. Oh, Lord, would we be all about followers of your son who desire to be restored into you every single moment of every single day. So this morning, give us a fresh start. We're, we're grateful that your mercies are new every morning. We're grateful that your steadfast love never ceases. We are so grateful that your faithfulness is great. We're thankful that your, that your love reaches to the highest mountain and it even goes to the deepest parts of the ocean. We're grateful, God, that you care for us more than you care for a blade of grass, and yet look how beautiful a field looks when covered in beautiful green. Thank you, God, that you care for your children so much. And Lord, sometimes we're in the midst of ugly. Sometimes it's brewing all around us. Sometimes we're just looking at it. Sometimes we're participating in it. Sometimes it's because of something ugly that's happened in our past. Sometimes it's because of something ugly that's being brewed and stirred. Sometimes it's because of a choice we've made. Sometimes it's because of a sin we've committed. Sometimes it's because of something somebody has done and it affects us. And sometimes it's done because of something that somebody has done directly to us. And you still care the same. Your love never ends. And it is so vast and it is so wide. And I am so grateful that you chose to put real people, good people, with ugly stuff in the way of their relationship with you in your word so that we could learn from it. So God, may we be good students of your word this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you for being in our midst. Thank you for being our teacher. We welcome you here. And it's in your name that I ask that all of our hearts that, Lord, the meditation in them would be pleasing to you and that the words of my mouth would be 
a sweet sound in your ear. In Jesus' name, amen. Ugliness. I, I started to think, I'm going to go to, on the morning of the study, I'm going to go to a news station on my phone, and I'm going to pick out some ugly news stories that are going on right now in our, in our, in our world or in our community. I couldn't find any. <laughs> That's not true, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and I would try to talk about, you know, and explain the ugliness that's going on all around us. And the Lord says, no, you're not. You're going to talk about some personal ugly. <clears throat> but I don't want to, Lord. <laughs> he says, no, you're going to. And so we've talked before about how some pieces in life, when we look backwards some and we see how pieces get attached and connected. My mom and my dad um, both became believers before they met and married each other. And they became belie uh, believers. They were saved. They came into a relationship with God. They were born again. Whatever tag you want to put on it means all the same thing. They came into a relationship with God and trusted Jesus Christ and the, and the work on the cross that was done. They weren't running on the treadmill, and they weren't sitting with their underwear showing in the big old comfy chair. <laughs> they were standing at the cross <laughs> and trusting in the cross. Under the preaching of that woman that I talked about yesterday, dear Elsie Johns, both my parents. So they came from some ugly situations, though. Both of my parents were raised by an alcoholic father. Um, my mother's parents divorced. My father's parents did not, but that's because the children begged my, my grandmother not to, and so she stayed. Um, on my father's side, my grandfather um, made a lot of really nasty choices, ugly choices when it came to women and girls, and, and some of them within our family. And I was one of those people that my grandfather... Um, touched inappropriately, and one day, I was about 11 years old, about 12 years old, and, uh, and I didn't tell my mom and dad right away, and we were riding in the car. It's a great place to have a confrontation with your kids. They can't escape. It's a good place to talk to your kids. We're driving down the road, and my mom says, honey, I need to ask you a question, and I started to cry because I knew exactly what she was going to say. It's come to our attention that Grandpa has touched you in a place that you weren't comfortable with and that was absolutely wrong. Is it true? Yes, Mom, it's true. And so she had a conversation with me. And you know, that is a piece of my life. And I know some of you have had horrific experiences in this moment, in this exact um, same ugly story. The way my parents handled this situation caused me to not have any residual effects from that at all because my parents confronted it immediately. My dad, I have never heard my dad say one cuss word. Not even, he won't even say darn it. Like he doesn't say gosh. He just won't do it. My sister's 10 years younger than me, and so I thought it was really cool when I was about 13 and she was three that I taught her the word fart. I was in trouble. 
Like, I thought it'd be really cute to hear a little three-year-old going around talking, you know, saying the word, but my dad, mm -mm. And so my dad, though, my dad, I've never, to this day, I have never heard my dad raise his voice at my mother. I've heard my dad get passionate with things. My dad is, he's got a big, booming voice. If you are ever in a, in a worship setting with my dad, it doesn't matter how many hundreds are there, you will hear him singing. You will hear him. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And when he found out what his father had done to his daughter, my dad came to me. Uh, my mom pulled us together, and she pulled my dad at the same time that, that I was sitting right there and confirmed what they had heard. My dad came over to me, and he pulled me in this big bear hug, and he just told me that he loved me, and out the door he went. I said, where's daddy going? And my mom said, he's going to talk to your grandpa. And that's what he did. And he went and he had a face-to-face -face with his father. I, to this day, have no idea what was said. But what I know is that my dad had my back. My dad loved me enough to confront the ugly that could have damaged a lot of stuff inside of me. Now, there's other ugly stuff in my life. Most of it I have caused on my own. But that moment in itself, um, it ju I just, I told my, I'm in the middle of publishing another book, and, uh, and, I, and I used that story in the book, and I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I need to ask your permission for something. And he said, what? I said, I'd, I'd like to put this story in my book. He said, oh, honey, I have no secrets. We have no secrets. Everything's all known to the Lord, and if he knows it, why shouldn't everybody else know it? I mean, he's just so... You know, let's say, yes, be yes, be no, be no, that's fine. He said, it's okay. I said, but you, got, you have some siblings and you have some cousins. He said, it's okay. It's all right. Because the, Jesus is going to gain the glory, and that's the story. That's the story. And if we but focus on what God can do in the midst of ugly to bring good out of even the ugliest of stuff, that's so much po more powerful than any ugly you will ever face. My mom, my mom was raised in a home, as I said, with, uh, with an alcoholic father and her parents divorced when she was, I always get, it's somewhere around like 13 or 12 or something, but she has, she's the middle of five, and she has siblings that are younger than her, obviously, because she's in the middle. And, uh, and so she has a, her baby sister and her were born on the same day, 11 years apart. And so when my mom was about 12 or 13, that would have made her sister just a little, just a little one. And my grandma had to go back to work full time, and my mom had a lot of household responsibilities. And to this day, she's a wonderful homemaker because of that experience. And that's the way she chooses to see it. And uh, my grandma was at work one day, and this man came up to her and asked her out on a date. And she looked at this man, and she said, listen, I'm a divorced woman. I have five children. You've never been married. You have no children. And he said, you know what? You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and if that's part of the package, then let's do this. So they went on a date, and I don't know how many dates they went on, and my grandma married Robert, who my mother called Pops for the 50-some years that he was married to my grandma, and he was the dad. Well, my mom, her biological father, um, 
told her she was stupid and she wouldn't amount to anything. That's what my mom heard day in and day out as a little girl. And uh, Robert came along, and the day came when my grandma wanted to introduce her children to Bob. And Bob walked in the door, and my mom was the first one, and he said, and she said, Bob, this is my daughter, Linda. And Grandpa looked at my mom and said, oh, well, hello, princess. <laughs> wow. And that poured something into my mom, and to the day he died, he called her princess every single time he saw her. Princess. Because God can take somebody's ugly and he can bring beautiful and just collide it into ugly. And God's beautiful will win every single time when you're open to it. Every single time. What ugly is in your life that needs restoring? What's been nagging? What's sitting out there? What continues to just come and badger you? What have you somehow tolerated and accommodated in your life because you feel like that's just the way it's going to be? So I might as well just make room for it now. So you, you just push things around and you rework your heart and you, make, you just make the ugly. You make room for the ugly. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't mean that the facts of it go away because that's not going to happen. But how it affects you, that's different. Because God wants to restore the ugly. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Oh man, I love this verse. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1 says, If you go, go down, go down the streets. I don't have it open. Uh, Go up and down the streets of, um, I always insert my hometown, so you can insert your hometown too, but go through the streets of Frazier because that's where I happen to live. Look around and consider, and if you can find but one person, just one person who deals honestly and seeks truth, I'll forgive that city. When we are all about looking for restoration for the ugly in our life, it requires dealing honestly and it requires seeking truth. We got to deal honestly with the ugly pieces. So deal honestly with your ugly pieces. What are they? The Prince of Peace desires to come on top of, underneath, all around, in the midst of, every one of the ugly pieces. And we need to take an honest look. But it's so much easier to look at somebody else's ugly, isn't it? And and talk about them. And, And talk about how they should fix their life and how they should get things all restored and all back together again. So let's do that with some people in God's word first, okay? And then we'll come back to the application and the personal in our own life. So we're in Genesis chapter 38. I don't know how many of you are familiar with 
this particular story of Judah and Tamar. Now, there are a couple of Tamars in the Bible, so we don't want to get them confused because David, King David, he has a sister named Tamar. And, and that's an ugly story all on its own. I mean, daughter. Daughter named Tamar. And that is an ugly story all on its own. Absalom and another brother that starts with an A that escapes my mind right now. And, uh, and Tamar, okay? But Judah and Tamar are different women, okay? We are in Genesis chapter 38. Genesis 38. Now, you don't have to go to Matthew chapter 1, but I referenced Matthew chapter 1, I think yesterday, the day before, in the whole begat. Like, it starts with Adam, and then it goes on through all of the things, the, the generations, all the way up through Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, which is uh, the Christ. <laughs> it just, all these begats, these so-and-so to so-and-so to so-and-so, Father, so-and-so, the Father, the, the Father, all the way up to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've heard that whole, that little phrase about how um, the Messiah came to meet our mess, so to speak, because Messiah starts with mess. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but it can be done a few different ways. It's play on words kind of a thing. But that's, when you look in Matthew chapter 1, you will be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't have an ugly piece in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then there, there are only five women mentioned in the whole genealogy of Jesus Christ. Only five, and Tamar is one of them. She's one of them. And so we're going to look at this little itty-bitty piece of the family tree of Jesus, who is the Christ. <laughs> but let's ask a question first. Why do you think God would allow all these ugly messes to be connected to his son. Why, why would he do that? Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to answer? Why, why does God do that? For us, probably. Yeah, so that, absolutely. Who isn't a mess? That's, really, that's the whole purpose that Jesus came anyway, right? Because we, we're a mess. And we need, we need our Savior to clean us up. Only Jesus Christ can make a heart whole. We're born a mess. We're born a mess. My dad, he likes to say this because a lot of people say, um, you need to either say yes or no to Jesus. What's your choice? And my dad says, well, you're born saying no. There's only one response. Yes. So the question is, are you going to say yes? Because everybody's born saying no. Oh, isn't that good? Yeah, I told you it was wise. So... In Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, we see this, that where Tamar is actually mentioned. But we're going to look here in Genesis chapter 38 on the restore the ugly. Look at the very first phrase, just a few words here in Matthew, I'm excuse me, Genesis 38, 1. It says, at that time, Judah left. Now, when I read scripture and I read a story, because I love people, oh man, I am, I, I, sitting in a mall and watching people all day long, love it. I like to go to the beach. Yes, getting a tan is fantastic, but I just love to watch people. Love to watch people. Love to know what makes people tick. Love to know. I love to know what your spiritual gifts are. I like to know what your personality profile is. I like to know whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. I love to know all of that kind of stuff. I like to know if you're structured or 
unstructured. I like to know if you're more task-oriented or people-oriented because then assimilating you into ministry, what a blast that is. When you know how people are already wired by how God made them, you will never get somebody saying no when you ask them to serve in a capacity in church because you're putting them in a place where God's already pre-wired them to be. Now, a circumstance in their life, might, they might have to say no, and that's okay, but they'll never say no because they're not a good fit if you already know how God's pre-fitted them, right? It's awesome. I just love how he does that. Why did I say all that? Oh, I know. Because when we come back to Genesis 38 here and we see at that time Judah left, I can't move on because we have to understand what that means. Who is Judah? Why did he leave? And at what time? Like there's these three questions come out of just those few words right there. So let's recap this. Judah, let's start there. Who is he? Judah is one of the 12 sons born to Jacob. And Jacob had his name changed, and you all were so smart and knew it was to Israel. That's right. The nation of Israel, as we know today, was named from Jacob here. It wasn't a nation in terms of land because they hadn't gone into the promised land yet. There, that took a while, but God is establishing his nation, his covenant relationship with people, with people. So when we say nation, we're not talking ground, we're talking people at this point. And so, so Jacob had 12 sons. Do you know that he had a favorite son? And his favorite son's name was Joseph. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jacob would have a favorite son? I mean, where would he have learned that from? See how it just carries on? Consequences, we saw what they were. Tomorrow we're going to see the consequences of that favoritism. And so then we know there's just a little bit about this. So not only does Jacob have a favorite son, he has four wives and he has a favorite wife too. What's her name? Rachel. That's right. And then the older boys, Joseph's ten older brothers, they didn't really think it was great that Joseph was the favorite. And I don't want to take too long on this because we're going to talk about it tomorrow. But there was all kinds of ugly in the midst of that story. And so ugly stuff came, and it was at that time that Judah left. Because of all the ugly that he participated in, murderous, jealous, scheming, selling a brother into slavery, family all in a state of disarray, lying to the dad that his favorite son was murdered when he, or killed by an animal when they really they sold him into slavery. Yes, yes, because we all do that every day, right? Oh, my word, it is such garbage in this one family. I wonder if it was at that time Judah left because he couldn't take living with the reminder of what he had done. I wonder if Judah left because he thought that if he left that he would leave his problems behind and he could start fresh. How many of you know that when you leave to start fresh, you go with you? And whatever is attached to you goes with you? You can't leave your problems behind. That's a lie from the enemy. Oh, so he left. So it was at that time that Judah left, and he went down. That's always so interesting to me. Yes, he did. Now, down here, record, 
uh, means geographically speaking. But Judah's about to go down because he left, because he's avoiding, because he's pretending it didn't happen, because he's living with all of this junk inside of his life. And it says he goes down to stay with a man at that place, and the man's name is that. So there's Judah, and he meets a daughter of a Canaanite man. First of all, you need to know that that is not good. We see, oh, isn't that sweet? He got away, and then God even let, brought him a woman. No. Judah met the daughter. It doesn't say, and God led him to this daughter. Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man, and his name was Shua. Why should Judah not be marrying a Canaanite woman? Because a Canaanite doesn't worship the same God that Judah is in covenant relationship with. God has a plan for this man and his family. And it doesn't include going outside of God's direction and God's boundaries. So he married her and he lay with her and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son whose name was Ur. I mean, I've heard some names before, right? <laughs> Ur. <laughs> I mean, your lips even have to be in that, right? Ur. <laughs> oh, man. It's short for error. It's, oh! <laughs> Did you just come up with that? Just like that? You're getting up there with my dad. <laughs> you're, not, you're not old enough to be my dad, but you're getting up there. <laughs> wow. <sighs> now, before we get too involved, in a, and we're going to go through every step of this ugly process here, but before we do that, we need to understand that this is Judah's story. I have a friend, her name is Mary, and she's authored like 30-some books, and she's an amazing person. And if you know anybody, or if you are somebody who has dealt with sexual abuse, she is your person. She has been through that, and she writes all about, not all 30 of her books, but she writes about that topic alone. And she has actually a podcast called The Restory Show. So to be restored, to be restoried. Everybody has a story and she believes that Jesus would like to restory your story. And so she has people come on and she interviews them and talks about their story. And, but uh, her name is Mary Demuth. D-E-M, capital M-U-T-H. But marydemuth.com is where you can find her. She is, she is a heart for Jesus. Oh, she loves Jesus. So Instead of reading these 11 verses out of Scripture, I would like to read it to you as if it's a breaking news story, okay? Because it reads a little different in that context than out of Scripture. So here. So, uh, hey, Ellen, 
we, we have a breaking news story here. I'm on the scene here in Canaan, and there's a man named Judah who's left his family and is now hanging out with people that he shouldn't be associating with. Why, he even married Shua's daughter and had three sons for Judah. The firstborn son named Ur was married to Tamar because Judah chose her for Ur. Anyway, Ur was a very wicked man, so Judah's God put his son Ur to death. Now, in Judah's culture, when the firstborn son dies and leaves the widow sonless, she is then given to the next son in line so that he can lie with her so that she can conceive a son in her dead husband's name. Yes, Ellen, I know that that's a little uh, uh, countercultural for you, but like it or not, that's the way that it was. So then Judah gives Tamar to Onan, his secondborn son. But Onan didn't agree with his daddy's culture. But he didn't have a problem sleeping with her, so he slept with her, but he certainly didn't want to produce a son for his dead brother, but he still slept with her. But this next part, Ellen, I really must read directly out of Scripture. So in verse 9 it says, But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. That is exactly how Judah's God puts it. And Judah's God saw this as a selfish act from Onan and that it is a wicked act and he put him to death as well. Now Judah did have a third son, Shelah, but Judah saw Tamar as the common denominator to his two eldest sons' early demise. Therefore, he sent Tamar back to her daddy's place with the promise that when Shelah was older, he would send for her. She's still waiting to hear from Judah. Mm. And we wonder why when Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite. But you got to even back up from there. At that time, Judah left. Got to always go back. Remember yesterday with that brokenness? You have to go back and track the beginning of brokenness. Otherwise, we start blaming the things that are happening given responsibility to things that shouldn't have all the responsibility. And so, we've got an ugly mess. But folks, the restore plan, you must remember that God's grace is greater than any ugly that has ever been faced, is being faced, or will ever be faced. The grace of God is needed in this mess. There is no ugly that's capable of outshining or intimidating God's grace. God's grace will always be higher, wider, stronger, bigger than any sin or any mess or any ugly in your life. And dealing honestly with the ugly that is scattered here in Genesis 38. There's wickedness, there's scheming, there's selfishness, there's deception, irresponsibility, running away, loneliness, forgotten ignored, the intermixing of bloodlines, hatred, jealousy, bitterness, blatant disregard for God's word, an unloved person, an insignificant person in 11 verses of scripture. That's a mess. That's ugly. So verse 12. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. And when Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend went with him. 
Let's just keep reading here. So when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and sat down at the entrance, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. So when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. Oh, well, I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. And will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. And he said, What pledge should I give you? And she responded, Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. As if the first 11 verses didn't have ugly in it, right? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. I've said it maybe every day in here so far, but I'm going to say it again because it's worth repeating. Stop reading books and looking at magazines and getting movies that have all this nasty junk in it without any redeeming quality whatsoever. It's right here. It's here. And, but it's in God's word, not because he desires his word to be something at the end of a checkout lane. His word is to be read so that our lives get changed. Restore plans. Hmm. This is U G. Anyway, we cannot look at this through our 2017 perspective. If we look at this through our 2017 lens, we're going to miss the connection to the Christ. Because remember, this is connected to the Christ. Directly connected through blood to the Christ. Tamar is a scorned, slighted, shunned, disregarded, ignored, rejected woman, and she is ticked off, right? But I'm not going to say she has a right to be, because she doesn't. I will say, I don't know that I see that that's wrong, that she's ticked. She's mad. It's okay to be mad. I told my kids that when they were little. You can be mad, but you can't be mean. You can be mad, but you can't be mean. Oh, she is one mad woman. Now, let me say this over here. I like her. There's a part of Tamar that I like. I like that she's gutsy. I like that she's bold. I like that she's willing to right a wrong. But there's more than just righting a wrong. Because you can right a wrong wrong, or you can right a wrong right. Right now, she's a woman who wants to right a wrong. But I'm not there. I'm not in that day and age. And so I can't speak to how she should have righted it right. What I can say is that God, providence, knows what her situation is. 
God, providence. But remember, she's not a part of the bloodline. She married into the bloodline, right? And so she's got this mixed up stuff going on. I'm sure that some of you maybe have lived this, where you have a husband and a wife, and one's a believer and one's not, and you're raising kids, and somebody wants to raise them in the church, and the other one says, I don't think that's such a, like, why? It's not necessarily necessary. I see this all the time in every church we have ever been a part of. In any speaking venue I go to, it is one of the most popular issues that women face when they come and they say, I need to talk about this. It's a big issue. So how do we do this? Now, I'm not going to say that you can do anything that you want when you're being mistreated. That's not true. That's not the part about her that I like, as I said. But she's got a strong will. She's got a strong will. If you are a strong-willed person, good for you. If you're not a strong-willed person, it's okay. And I don't mean strong-willed in terms of you're a bully to everybody or you bulldoze people over. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, normally it's the one, it's the little boys in the classroom that want to push everybody over and they want to come in and take charge and, man, they're so wild and all that. Those are the little boys that I want. You know why? Because they're going to be some world changers later on in their own little sphere, wherever they are. Man, let the, but teach them how to shape it. Teach them how to hone that the right direction. A woman, a little girl who just wants to, some, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they were saying how um, that uh, their granddaughter, uh, she just likes to escape sometimes. I'm like, oh man, you got a strong-willed woman right there. You are raising a strong-willed woman. And so it's, how do you teach, how do you teach them? So if you're somebody who tends to be a little more meek, that's okay because God created you that way. But you were never made to be taken advantage of. You were never made to be stepped on. You were never made to be a rug. You were never made to be mistreated or to be spoken to rudely. You were never made that way. And so for those of us that happen to be a little more strong-willed, sometimes we have to come alongside another and help them right a wrong the right way. Does that all make sense in there? I could keep on speaking, but we need to get back here, too. So let's say it this way. She has spunk. She has an unwillingness to accept how she's been treated. And she's had enough. So her motive is right. Her actions are wrong. God's grace is bigger. That does not mean that we have an excuse to do what we want because therefore God's grace is just going to cover it anyway. There's trouble for the person who thinks like that. Followers of Jesus need to follow, need to follow all the way. Followers of Jesus follow all the way, all of his ways, completely, in every way. We cannot disregard his process. We cannot disregard his methods. He has ways to right the wrong. Dealing honestly with the ugly pieces and the ugly parts is the right way. Fighting for a right, the right way. 
Have you ever been dealt that raw deal? What is it? Have you been neglected? Have you been abandoned? Have you been rejected? Have you been hated? Have you been mistreated? Are you overlooked? Are you stepped on? Are you disrespected? Are you a harder worker but you get paid less? We need to deal honestly with these raw pieces. Because if you don't deal honestly with them, I can assure you they will deal with you. Elementary school parking lots. Satan lives there. I am telling you, our youngest just got out of sixth grade, and I am singing the hallelujah chorus that I don't ever have to go back to an elementary school parking lot. There are some mean mamas in an elementary school parking lot because it is all about them. As if everybody is going to get stuck in that parking lot from picking up their kids until dinner. Every, if you just were patient and waited until you were the last one, because I've done it, and I timed, how long does it take for the bell to ring and the last car to get out of that parking lot? It is under eight minutes. And pe the ugly come out of women. I'm telling if you've got one of the Ixus bumper stickers or, you know, your church little sign or something on your car, you better be careful. <laughs> I... I want to be I want to be a volunteer patrol person in an elementary school parking lot. I would love to say you stop right there. Cuz I love I can't it just gets on my last nerves when people are pulling out in front of somebody thinking that they have the right of way and they were there first and the ones that make their own parking space. Oh my word, I know there's bigger problems in life, right? But I'm telling you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Go visit an elementary school parking lot, and you'll see. <laughs> Says the third grade teacher. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the Meyer or Walmart or whatever, when there's 27 like lines to, to cash out and they have four open, right? And there's 27 and they only have four open, and the lines are all the way up, and then somebody comes to open the fifth one. And who always goes in that line? The one at the very back, right? I'm the one who comes up and says, hang on just a minute. You, you go over here, because you've been waiting longer. And everybody behind was like looking at me, you know, as if I'm wearing the blue smock. No, but it's like writing it right. Now, sometime my husband will say, sometimes, Ellen, you really need to stop doing that. Like, <laughs> I'm just helping the one who's been standing in line with the screaming children with a full basket for the one who's standing back there just got there with a loaf of bread. Just helping out. Hmm. That'll get you in trouble as a follower of Jesus, though, if you just start helping him out. And he hasn't called you to it. Followers of Jesus need to follow Jesus all the way. In the Old Testament, there is a word, it's probably my favorite Hebrew word, love this word. I'm going to tell you what it is, but I'm going to set it up first. Okay? It's the same word when in uh, Judges chapter 6 verse 12, an angel of the Lord comes up to Gideon and he calls Gideon mighty warrior. Now, Gideon didn't feel like a mighty warrior. Gideon didn't believe that he was a mighty warrior, but that's okay because when God calls you then he makes you. See, Gideon wasn't a mighty warrior, 
But God knew that he was making Gideon into this mighty warrior. Then Proverbs chapter 31 is known as the, um, the uh, uh, virtuous woman, a wife of noble character. But the word wife really is more woman, okay? And so it's a woman of noble character or a virtuous woman. So Gideon is the mighty warrior and a virtuous or noble woman, it's the exact same word in the original context. It's C-H-A-Y-I-L. C-H-A-Y-I-L. Ail. I probably botched that really bad. Ail. It's something similar. Ail. C-H-A-Y-I-L. What does that mean? It means to have a strong will. It means to be an army of one. It means to be a force. Somebody whose Aiel is capable, strong, efficient. Aiel. But God doesn't call you Aiel. He makes you Aiel. He calls you to be Aiel. So when God came and called um, Gideon a mighty warrior, it's because Gideon, this is what I'm making you to be. He desires that we all have this character, this ideal, this noble, virtuous, mighty warrior, because there's some ugly stuff in our life that needs to be fought. Aiel is an army of one. Aiel is strong. Aiel is capable. Aiel is a force. Aiel is efficient. Aiel. My kids were dealt a wrong deal, my younger two. Any children in the foster system whose parental rights have been terminated, needing a forever family, that's a raw deal. They had absolutely nothing to do with any of this. They did nothing wrong. But boy, is there residual in their life from the wrong that was done. God inter Somebody said to me one time about, oh, those children are so blessed because you rescued them. Mm. I didn't correct them right at that moment. I didn't rescue my kids. I adopted my kids. They're my family. God rescued my children and delivered them into our family. I've rescued a dog before. We took it back. That's why I didn't rescue my kids, because I don't have that choice. When I said yes, I said yes. And I meant it. They're not going back. There's nowhere for them to go, because they've been delivered to us. There's no choice in the matter. There's, there's no choice. They're in my family forever. Now, there may come a day where, and this was for any of my kids, it doesn't matter whether they came out of my womb, or whether God brought them into our lives through adoption. That does not matter. How you get there, I, we tell our kids, okay, so the entire family is going to go to New York. We're going on a trip to New York, and Dad is going to take a plane, and I'm going to take a train, and the four olders are going to ride in a car, and the two of you are going to ride in a bicycle. So who's getting to New York first? Well, Daddy is. That's right. That's who entered the Kevin Harbin family first. Who gets there next? Well, the train is the next fastest. That's right. And who's that? 
that's you, that's right. And guess what? I had to be invited in. I was invited into the Kevin Harbin family. Didn't push my way in. I didn't make myself in there. Daddy asked me to be a part of the Kevin Harbin family. And then the older four, they got there through a car. So they, they got there. And then you two came, you know, last because you were on a bike. It was a little slower. But what was the end result? We all got to New York. That's exactly right. And we're all a part of the Kevin Harbin family. And now we're adding daughters-in-law into the Harbin family. It's a beautiful thing. We treat family very precious because, uh, because we believe it is precious. To the point where, and I, some people disagree with this, and you can disagree with it all you want. It's your choice. But it doesn't change my mind. So in our family, girlfriends and fiancés or boyfriends are not allowed in family pictures. They're just not. Because they're not a part of our family yet. Our oldest son, Andrew, got married on December 30th this past year. And on December 24th, we always do a family photo in church, in front of the Christmas tree or wherever, you know. And there was Taylor standing off, and she knew. She grabbed the camera first. said, I'll take the picture. Because she knew. In five days, she was going to be a part of this family. She's not in the picture. But the very first family picture that we have with Taylor in it is in her wedding dress, standing next to my son, who is now her husband. Now she's in the family. I know that some people think that's just goofy, but I got to tell you, I would have a lot of family picture to, pictures I'd have to destroy because all the girlfriends that aren't there anymore, right? Yeah, I'm not going to do that to my family. It's precious. You don't just get in. You gotta be asked in. You gotta be welcomed in. You gotta be born in. You gotta be adopted in. That's how you're in, in the Kevin Harbin family, that is. And so, since adopting our children, we speak honestly to our young children about how we deal honestly with the pieces of their life. Man, that is rough for adults to get. How do you explain to five and six years old, and then six and seven, and then seven and eight, and then eight and nine, and then nine and ten, and then uh, ten and eleven, and eleven and twelve, and twelve and thirteen, which is what they are now. How do we explain? You know what? We just speak truth to our kids. We tell them, you ask any question you want to ask, and I will answer it. I'll answer any question that you ask, and that I have the responsibility, Kevin has the responsibility to answer at their appropriate age level at what they need to know. It is our desire and our goal that they leave our home when they're ready to leave on their own, that they have the entire full picture, every question answered that they have. Now, of course, more will pop up because you can't avoid that. But it's our goal that they know these things and how to handle the ugly from their past because we don't want it owning them and running them in their life. That's part of the restore plan. Deal honestly with things. There's things that happened in your life or in your family, and you feel, now I am not about telling your kids everything, all right? You don't have to tell your kid. My kid, there are things, my older kids, actually my son, Andrew, we were just at a wedding the other night, and my son, he's 27, and one of my best friends who we were um, 18, 19, 20-year-olds together, oh man, I could tell you stories, and most are not good, and, and she was joking with me, and we didn't know my son, Andrew, was standing right there. And he turned and he looked and he said, listen, there are just some things I don't want to know about your life, Mama. I said, that's really good to know, Andrew, because there's a lot you're not going to ever find out. 
They just don't need to know. And it's okay. But deal with the ugly in the right ways. You don't have to tell everybody everything, but there are a lot of things that you don't tell the right people. And things need to be taken care of. Tamar was dealt a raw deal, and she goes into action to right this wrong. So let's look at what she does here in 13 through 14. We've already looked at it in reading it, but let's dig in just a little bit. It says here that when Tamar was told, and then if you see the first part of 14, she took off. When she was told, she took off. That's one of the places where humanity needs to be careful. Because when we find things out or we've been wronged or when somebody that we loved has been wronged, better watch out where we take off and what we do in that. Tamar took off. She went into action. It was her action. It was her plan. It was her way. She took advantage of an opportunity to make things right from the wrong in her life. And it was not the way it should have been done, but it's the way that it happened, and that's why God's grace is always bigger. We need to take responsibility for our part in any ugly situation. You see, Judah was a circumcised male. That means that he bore the sign of the covenant. That's what circumcision is. That's what it was. It's what it still is. It's a sign of the covenant. He had a constant reminder that he belonged to God, that he was under God's hand, under God's direction, and God never told Judah to leave. Judah made that decision on his own, and there will always be consequences to disobedience. We've seen that all week through the book of Genesis here. When a follower of Jesus stops following Jesus, you'll experience consequences. We always do. However, God will rescue her, and then she's a product of God's grace. So we have to seek some truth here. So Judah left, and he stepped outside the bounds of covenant. It's no wonder he fell deeper and further away from God. You see, his actions are what put the distance between him and God. Remember, God is everywhere. So the distance that he feels there is not because God went or did anything wrong. It's because Judah left. And because Judah left, I mean, and it's be, Judah left because of what Judah participated in with his brothers. It goes all the way back in Judah's life. When we sin against God, there is a separation because that is what separates us from God. But when we come into a relationship with Jesus, there is now no condemnation, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of your good father. There's not one ugly piece, not one bad piece, not one nasty piece that can separate you from the love of God. But how you manage it and how you deal with it, that. Because sinning over a sin is not the right way to handle something. That's not righting a wrong right. So Tamar here has married into this Israelite family. She wasn't raised knowing about God. I'm sure she heard Judah speak about his dad, Jacob, and I'm sure she heard Judah speak about his granddaddy, Isaac, and I'm sure she even heard stories about his great-granddaddy, Abraham. She heard these names. She got snippets of Judah's heritage, 
but it still confused her. You see, Judah spoke of the expectations of his father's home, but she was confused because she heard about how a widow, a childless widow, would be given to the next brother in line. She knew that that was their culture, and so therefore she's acting and scheming from that perspective. She's not trying to get Judah back. She's trying to follow the culture, and Judah wasn't doing that, so she was inserting herself because she knew that Shelah was still available to produce a child for her dead first husband, not for her. It was to carry Ur's name on. That's what their culture was. She had no husband, she had no child, so therefore she had no station in life, and she had to walk around with her widow's clothes on. She would have been shunned around her community, she, especially because she was married to somebody outside of even being a Canaanite. It was just a mess for her, so she took off under her human thought, under human disguise, under human scheming. This is not the hand of God at work. That is what I was saying. The hand of God is separate from the grace of God in this instance. The hand of God is not directing this, but the grace of God comes in and pulls all those pieces right back together again. So Tamar is pregnant. So let's see how this lands. Verse 19. So she became pregnant by him, and after she left, she took off her veil, she put her widow clothes back on. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend in order to get his pledge back from the woman. Remember that? Do you remember that until she got her goat, she was keeping his stuff, right? And so he asked the men who lived there, so where's that prostitute who was beside the road? Well, there hasn't been any prostitutes there. So the friend goes back to Judah and says, I can't find her. Besides, the men who live there said there hasn't been any prostitutes. And Judah says, ah, let her keep what she has anyway, or we're going to become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. <laughs> that is just, isn't that silly when we read that through us? The things I would not do for a goat. <laughs> I can't imagine what I would do for a goat. <laughs> My word. <laughs> you see, Judah is angry. He cannot have this ruin his family's reputation. You see, Tamar is reserved for Shelah and for her to be pregnant by someone else because we haven't even gotten to that part yet. But she's pregnant. And for her to be pregnant by somebody else is going to be a slap in Judah's society face. You see, look what happens here. Three months later, Judah's told, your daughter-in-law Tamar, she's guilty of prostitution. And as a result of that, she's pregnant. And Judah says, will you bring her out here and have her burned to death? Ho, oh, ho. Maury Povich needs to come on scene here. They need to get a paternity test, and they need to get one right now. You see, huh, she remains silent while Judah is avoiding his sin. Do you remember when we talked about getting caught? That's coming up. Well, that's not the point just yet, but oh, it's so right in here. Judah, Judah now attempts to right a wrong. You see, without dealing honestly, first, he didn't deal honestly. He's trying to cover his tracks, but he doesn't even know that he's the guy. He's just trying to cover his tracks because 
He didn't give his youngest son to her. And now she's pregnant, and it's not by Shelah. He's the only one that could have slept with Tamar and been okay for her to be pregnant by, and Judah didn't allow that, so therefore she's pregnant in a way she should have never been. That's what Judah's thinking here. Oh, Now, he could have met with her privately. He could have said, you know what? I need to have a conversation with her. He should have. Quietly. And all of this would have come out with just the two of them. But no, Judah decides that he's going to handle it his way. Hmm. How do you react when you feel you've been wronged? See, there's a difference between responding and reacting. Are you a responder or are you a reactor? Reacting avoids, whines, deflects, complains, freaks out. A responder considers. A responder says, let's talk about this. A responder says, I need some time. Dealing honestly and seeking truth <laughs> allows you to breathe when the ugly is going on. It gains perspective as the ugly piles up. It allows you to think straight. It allows you to plan and pray. God looks for and searches for men and women who deal honestly and seek truth. Jeremiah did not say that you have to have all your ugly in its proper place before God starts looking for that one person who deals honestly and seeks truth. It's the only deal. Deal honestly and seek truth. Judah, he doesn't respond. Judah reacts. Burn her to death. Put her to death. But she's not the one who gets burned. Look at 25. She's being brought out. And she sends a message to her father-in-law. You know, this would play out really nice in a, if you did this in a script-like stage performance with current reality in there. Could you just see her texting him? Oh, she's right there. You might want to come and talk to me first before you carry this thing out. She says, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Do you remember those three items? You see, the ugly piles up here because what she stole from him was his identity. It's kind of like Pastor Dave with my name. He is stealing my identity. Yesterday he took my voice. <laughs> so the, the seal, the cord, and the staff. She's an identity thief now because that would be like giving him giving her his driver's license, his social security card, and his bank account number. These were really a big deal. Nobody else had a staff like his. It was carved out and cut out that everybody would see, oh, you belong to Judah. Many of Judah's boys would have a staff that looks just like his. And the cord is what hung around his neck. And the seal was attached to the cord. And the seal was like his signature on any kind of a document. He gave his identity away. He gave his identity away. For one night, 
of sexual immorality. Pretty ugly, isn't it? That'll make front news in the checkout lane. Now, if we only look at the ugly, then it's just plain ugly. But if we look at this moment through Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, God turns it into a beautiful moment because Judah and Tamar are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Praise God when you're caught participating in any ugly. We try to stop that from happening because we don't want to have that. We don't want to, we don't want to be seen. We don't want the embarrassment. We don't want the shame. We don't want the guilt. We don't want the effects. We don't want the consequences. So then we choose to try to avoid. Oh, would you allow God's people in his word to teach you what happens when that happens and do it the right way? <laughs> I wonder if Jacob was praying for Judah after he left. I mean, Jacob, Jacob had a mess all on his own, but Jacob, Jacob was a man who was after God's heart because God used him. God chose this family. God's plan will not change. Have you ever heard of Jesus Christ being referred to as the Lion of? Wow, the Lion of Judah, this messed up, ugly situation. And God's son is referred to as the Lion of Judah. Wow, it doesn't get more beautiful than that, does it? Judah is caught. Oh, when you're caught, pause, sing the doxology, and move on in that caught. Because it is a praise the Lord, absolutely. She says, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these. And look what happens in verse 26. If you focus bigger on verse 26 than any other of the verses in this chapter, then you're in the right spot. Judah recognized his stuff, and he said, she is more righteous than I. Because I wouldn't do the right thing. And he didn't sleep with her again. But he raised her twin boys. Another set of twins. Yeah. Judah repents here. Judah recognizes his wrong. Taking responsibility for his behavior requires repenting and remorse. Repenting, repent and remorse before responsibility. Repent and remorse. He deals honestly. His heart is broken due to his sin because he allowed God to deal honestly in his heart. When God revealed the whole ugly situation and he said, oh man, it's my fault. Please. That broke Judah's heart. And that's when restoration begins. That's when God can restore. When we place the ugly in the hands of our beautiful Savior, he will take any broken thing and turn it into beautiful. It's what he does. It's who he is. 
It's what he's just waiting to do when we but deal honestly and speak truth. The restore will come to the ugly if you bring Jesus the ugly and you trust him with every single piece. Judah and Tamar are mentioned in the genealogy of the Prince of Peace. So it's your choice, P-I-E-C-E or P-E-A-C-E. It's your choice. Another homophone. It's your choice. Jesus was beaten. He was stripped naked. He had thorns crushed on his head. His body was a broken, ugly mess. There was nothing beautiful about his outward, beaten, bruised body. But when we sing about a beautiful, broken Savior, and when we look at the passion of the Christ as he's hanging on the cross on Good Friday, oh, it breaks my heart when churches bypass Good Friday. Just give it a little bit of attention. You can't celebrate Sunday if you don't have Friday. The cross, oh, can you look at the beautiful, terrible cross? You know, that whole, there's, word, there's songs written all about this, poems, the, the Bible. Beautiful brokenness. Jesus went through it because of his great love for his father, and his father allowed it because of, and demanded it because of his great love for you. When you take communion, does the person serving communion say, Christ's body broken for you. Isn't that beautiful? God can do the same thing with your broken. With any ugly, he can restore it. Because that's just who he is. Thank you, God, for being a God who loves us so much. There's nothing we can do about it. And thank you for loving us so much right where we are. No matter what ugly is present. But you love us too much to leave us there. God, would we be people who truly deal honestly and speak your truth so that our restoration can take place. In Jesus' name, amen.